Welcome to the Total Car Score podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. Well, welcome again here to the Total Car Score podcast with uh, Lauren and Carl. And uh, this week we survive our first press trip in the COVID era. How are you, Lauren? I'm doing great. It wasn't so bad. I I'd flown once through all this, so I kind of knew what to expect. Yeah, for me, it was totally new. And it was kind of uh, scary in a way. Uh, not scary, like worrisome a little bit, going through empty, semi-empty airports, and some were busier than others. Miami was like, I would say, 25%. Charlotte was busy. Detroit was pretty much empty. And then coming back through Dallas, Dallas was fine. And then the, the flight itself had only 15 passengers from Dallas to Miami. That surprised me, but they told me they're using those planes to ship the cargo. So I guess the plane was heavy, but not with people. <laughs> How are you, Carl? I'm doing well. I, uh, I uh, know what that's like, though. These I've been on a flight, too, in the last uh, few months, and it's just bizarre, isn't it, when you get on the plane and it's like, you don't get rows to yourself, you get like quadrants to yourself of the plane. It was interesting, nonetheless. So we went to Detroit, actually, out uh, like an hour north of uh, the Detroit airport for the Bronco Day, uh, August 11, 1965. That's the day that the original Bronco debuted and then it celebrated 55 years. There, uh, really sorry that you weren't there, Carl, but Lauren was, uh, we didn't get to talk much because it was a very busy program like six different activities and all that but uh, i think it was very interesting right lauren it was interesting I, I think the thing is partial with the social distancing and the masks so we were thrilled to see people that uh, i haven't seen in a long time and some people want to hug and some people don't and that's fine you kind of almost have to ask but um it, it was nice to see people but it was strange because they said they put the whole program together remotely because no one's in the office at ford and they're talking about potentially staying out of the office well after the first of the year. And like, how do you put together any kind of program at any kind of event without these people all being in one location? And I'm, they were able to do it. Um, it was a very short program. It was about two and a half hours. So to fly in for me was easy. It was only 45 minutes. For Carl, it would have been a day. But Yeah, no, it, uh, it sounded like uh, quite an experience. And I think, you know, what I'm seeing here with the Ford Bronco is that it's such a hit. It has been such a big uh, kind of take the industry by storm hit that Ford, and I don't blame them, is uh, essentially going to be playing the Bronco card every chance they get going forward. I won't won't actually use the word milking. Oh, wait, I just used it. Damn it. Anyways, <laughs> they are going to be playing the Bronco card as often as they can from now till the car launches because they feel like it's one of the big deal hot stories of the industry. And they're right. And uh, so, yeah, expect a lot more uh, Bronco. I mean, you know, I mean, Super Bowls and, and uh, you know, Comic-Con. I mean, if there's a place that something is going on, there's going to be a Bronco element for it's going to play that card everywhere they can. They should. I mean, what was what was last year's biggest car? I mean, Corv we Corvette. all knew it. Yeah. Right. And so that was the car of the year uh, since we're all three jurors and we all get uh, multiple opportunities to drive it. But like, what would this year's big thing be if it wasn't Bronco? If it wasn't Bronco, uh, I don't know. Um, the GV80 was, uh, I, there's a lot of talk. They're actually doing also a very different way of uh, 
of showing the cars they here in Miami, and I think they're doing it all around the country. I've seen pictures of uh, other colleagues in Portland. Nick uh, Nick Miles was in Portland, and so they basically put the cars in parking lot. There's nobody there from Genesis. You just go around and walk around the car and take a look. We couldn't drive them like we didn't drive the Broncos either. It's just like your personal exhibit for a car because nobody else is there. So I mean, very very different times. Some of the I wanted to mention some that what you were saying, Carl. Some of the news that they shared at this event, they say that they already have 165 pre-orders or registrations, whatever you want to call them, uh, on the website. So that's a lot of cars already for the first year for the Bronco. 165,000, you mean, right? Not 165. 165. <laughs> They'd be in trouble if it was 165. 165,000. Okay. That might cool. be the Mach E in reality, but certainly not the Bronco. <laughs> do the math. Do the math. But but you know the other big car of the year, uh, which if the Bronco wasn't sucking up all the air in the room, uh, better this may be good or bad for Ford. Would probably be the Ford. F-150, right? That's the other big redesign coming uh, for 2021. And I think it's not really the kind of substantial redesign we saw in 15 when that car was last uh, gone through. So I think Ford's happy to have the Bronco as an all-new vehicle uh, be the star of the show. But the anytime the Ford F-150 has something substantial happening, it's a big deal because that's the best-selling car uh, in the country and has been for over 40 years. Right. Yeah, I think the Venza might have been on the list coming back. I really liked it. And I'm not a hybrid car person, but, you know, driving that Venza, and, and my girlfriend has the older one, and she loves it, it really stepped up the game. I mean, it had a lot of things that their, some of their other products had, but it had even more than you would expect for the price. It was almost a Lexus for what it offered for the dollar value. That's a nice car. And I have to say, Toyota has been putting a lot of uh, good stuff in their new models and, like, bringing back the Venza. Probably a smart idea, too, because they just expand their lineup of crossovers and SUVs. But uh, let me go back a little bit to the Bronco story, because, uh, I mean, from what, I, what we've seen, obviously, I mean, this is the competitor for the Jeep uh, brand. I mean, and they, they launched in Bronco in three different versions, two-door, four-door, and the Sport, which is like small SUV. Well, what are your first impressions, Lauren? Do you think they have enough uh, or they have even more? Do you think it's better than the Jeep? I think it has a lot more to offer than the Jeep, and I also think that Land Rover should be concerned with their new Defender because that they were trying to go after that Jeep market as well. Now, you have to remember that if you're looking for a mountain goat that goes through anything, there's a couple vehicles to choose from, anything that's Land Rover or Range Rover, and I would say the only other option I could think of is a G-Wagon, which literally goes up mountains, um, but the price points are much higher, so... I think what they did is they made a great vehicle. It offers two engines, but I think they're going to almost have to come up with something bigger and better because Jeep's already said, we're going to put a V8 in. We got to remember the guy that's running the show, Tim Kaniskas, is going to say, I like power, and we're going to put some serious power in the Jeep, and they're going to have to defend themselves. The one thing I think Bronco really does smartly for the average consumer, let's say you want to upfit it you want to put in something for off-roading or for mountain bikes or whatever it is that your your thrill is they're allowing you to finance that into the vehicle where jeep will not and neither will land rover so if you want something you got to buy it separately and that's challenging for a lot of people that becomes christmas gifts and holiday gifts uh, or whatever that might be birthday gifts to in order to get the vehicle to what you want yeah i think you're right um and it's going to be interesting to see how how it's configured and what kind of you know which versions of it sell 
the most because I think that they have a four-door version. They, of course, have this car-based version in the Bronco Sport. Uh, and then they're going to have the two-door one that's got this kind of classic, you know, Bronco appeal to it. And it seems really capable off-road between the breakover angle and the departure and approach angles and all that. So they're going to be offering a lot of different versions for a lot of different uses. And um, it's probably going to be a pretty powerful you know, sub-brand within Ford. I, my prediction is that initially they're going to sell more of the two-door and the four-door, but eventually maybe the the, the, the most uh, the most volume will come from the sport, which is like more utilitarian, more people can use it for different things during the during the week or whatever, and then like do go the adventure thing. We didn't drive them again. We just rode them as passengers for a very short time, like 10, 15 minutes on each time, and this wasn't on a off-road course that uh, it's actually a new park outside Detroit, which was really, really nice. And uh, I, th I thought it was it, it did really well. I mean, the demonstrations that they did, obviously they did them. I mean, they prepared the field, they prepared the cars, they drove the cars, so they knew what to expect and all that. So there weren't any surprises for them. While if we were had been driven them, we probably would have like find a little pothole here or whatever. Uh, but uh, I thought it, it handled really, really well. The three models. I agree. I, I think that the we drove, we rode in the sport, and uh, I got some good footage. It went up some pretty steep hills, and it, you know, it was went through water, went through rocks. I mean, it's not going to be the two door, four door. Um, you can still get the Sasquatch package or some of it on the sport, which is the, it's a cool package with the big tires and rims, and designed for off road. But people that are looking for that two door or four door experience. They're going to go for those, but they're going to have to wait because sports coming in this year and the other versions are not coming in until after the first of the year. And that's where the big orders are. So I think sports going to do well. And if you compare it back in the day, I'm dating myself when you would see Blazer and, and Bronco, the Blazer was pretty equivalent. The Blazer is not equivalent today. Today, it's just an SUV with a title on it. But the, but the Bronco really uh, qualifies for its name. Uh, I got a chance to drive the 72 Bronco with a 302 with drum brakes. And Carl and I both have older cars, so we know we know how much fun that is. Um, it was interesting how long the brake distance was. You really had to be on those brakes all the time, which is <laughs> not good for repair and maintenance. But but you know what? I, at the time, that was the vehicle. Yeah, those vintage cars are always challenging. You know, uh, the GT500 event uh, six, seven months ago in Vegas. I guess it was like nine months ago now. Um they had a vintage GT 500 KR that uh, Haggerty had brought just like they did for the, uh, the vintage Bronco at this event. And uh, <laughs> I got in and was driving it down out of the parking lot down the main street there out of Las Vegas motor speedway thinking, Oh, this thing's nice. And I just went for the brakes cause there was a speed bump coming up. I'm like, oh, I'll go for the brakes and totally locked them up because like, I didn't see the speed bump until I was almost on it. And then I was like, Oh shoot, I want to slow down quickly. Went for the brakes, locked up. Then I had to like let off the brakes. It's like, ah, you know, and this is all happening within like 20, 20 seconds, 30 seconds of getting in the car and the Haggerty guys in the passenger seat. And I'm like, sorry, uh, believe it or not, I know how to drive. It's just, you know, you throw every, you throw everything together, you know, first few seconds in an old car, suddenly not a panic stop, but a somewhat trying to do an aggressive stop. And then remembering, Oh yeah, no ABS and probably not even the easiest or best modulated brakes on these old cars. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about how uh, there's the rose-colored glasses people see vintage cars through, and uh, you really, if you if you get from the modern one into the vintage one back to back like that, um, you you realize, yeah, the old cars are cool, but they're not necessarily 
the best uh, engineered by today's standards. Well, you remember look, looking at little four-piston Kelsey Hayes brakes. I used to rebuild those as part of the my history in the in, way back. But we restore old 65, 66 uh, Shelbys, and they had disc brakes as well. But yeah, even when we raced those cars, everyone put the Thunderbird brakes on the front because they're just so much weight. And, and performance, you got to stop this vehicle. And I think they did a great job with the Bronco. I mean, we didn't get a chance to do like brake checks or anything and see what it could do. But I mean, overall, its its performance was impressive considering that's not what you see built today for most vehicles. Like, like oh yeah, we can off-road this SUV. And you're like, no, you can't. You know? So um, other news that happened this week was like the birth of yet another 100% electric vehicle brand. Ionic, which was a model under the Hyundai lineup, and I guess it's following the same example as they did with Genesis. But uh, do we really need another brand of electric cars? <laughs> no, we do not. Yeah, it's uh, it's this this kind of sudden massive commitment and buzz on the EV world that we've seen literally in the last like two weeks, two to three weeks. Um, feels a little me too ish you know a lot of a lot of uh, brands just deciding well we got to do something there too and uh uh you know i think all three of us would agree that, that sometimes the industry isn't the most independent in its thought processes they uh, they see another brand do something and then well, well we gotta we gotta respond we gotta respond me too me too yeah. yeah yeah and it gets a little it gets a little annoying um especially if you feel like the first one or this first one or two that starts the trend aren't aren't the smartest things in the first place so uh, again, China will justify a certain level of EV R&D by, by every company because that's a giant market and they're pushing EVs hard. I don't see all these dedicated brands suddenly uh, sucking up a bunch of market uh, share in the U.S. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I just don't no, see that happening. You are spot on. And I know Carl and I talk about this all the time. When you're looking at China, they're demanding electric vehicles. And even with the incentives they put in place, they're still not getting the traction they wanted. Then they realize oh, our grid's not going to support this. What are we going to do? And that's why I always say, you know, they're looking at other options. They're putting in nuclear power plants like crazy because they need the, the power if they're going to make these vehicles function. And now they're starting to rethink their thought process. And now they've switched to what's called blue gas. I don't, if we, I don't believe we discussed this in the past, but it's a, it, it's a process of hydrogen. You're right. They put $66 billion and they've got three gas stations. And so that sort of tells you that even though China's sales are up now after COVID or they're still getting out of it too, um, they're still not getting the traction that the government wanted. But this is pretty typical for China. Remember, they wanted only one child per household, and then they realized, oh, well, everyone wanted little boys. We don't have anybody to breed babies. <laughs> so they do put the cart before the horse in many cases, and it looks like everyone followed, and now they're rethinking their, their case, including the U.K. They've already said, you know, this is not going to work. We're not going to keep giving people money. So maybe yeah. we won't see an electric Bronco anytime soon. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see a concept. Will we see electric Broncos swarming the, the streets of the U.S.? About no. the same time we're going to see ele you know, ionic, electric Ionics and electric Hummers swarming the streets of, U of the U.S., which maybe in 10 to 15 years, maybe. Not in the next two to maybe. five. Not even. Well, we I agree with you. I mean, everyone talks electric, but the fact is when you really look at the real numbers, it's less than 2% of right. the entire vehicle sold. Excellent. So we're going to take a short break here and we're going to come back about to talk about what are we driving these days. I had a pretty special adventure last weekend. We'll be back. Welcome back.
welcome back to the Total Car Score podcast with Carl Brower and Lauren Fix. And uh, in this segment, as we usually do, we're going to talk about cars we drove uh, in the past days, weeks, uh, whatever. I was on the Toyota Tundra TRD, and the, in the past segment, we were talking about the Bronco. And last week, Carl, you mentioned that these kind of vehicles, these kind of pickup trucks, are competing actually against like all these off-roaders like the Jeep and uh, soon the Bronco. And this car was amazing. And we took it to the Everglades Park here to do a, like a true test. And our friend and colleague and also juror, Al Vasquez, had a Subaru Outback. And he thought he could outdo the Tundra. So he went in, go to my YouTube channel to look to see the video. So he was leading the way because he knows that park pretty well. And like not even like a hundred yards into uh, muddy, like a couple of feet, uh, deep of water, he got stuck really, really bad. So <laughs> I have to come to the rescue with the Tundra. And unfortunately, he put a little bit of damage in the Subaru. <laughs> so like, that's an example. That. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like a good lesson for people to know, like, yeah, cars can be labeled uh, as uh, for off-road or for like the adventure, but you have to take your limits. And uh, you watch the video again and see the amount of damage that that Subaru took. Uh, most people will won't try to do that. But the Tundra, amazing, um, really comfortable, really big too. I mean, so I mean, it's a completely different different segment. But it was fun. It was really really fun driving it also on the street, like different projects. I was working on the house, hauling cargo and stuff. But for off roading, that was like a really really fun car. Excellent. Well, I'm, Excellent. I'm not driving anything like that. I am driving the Honda Civic Type R in this brilliant blue. It looks like grabber blue to me. If I'm dating myself again, that's like a 70 Boss 302 color. But um, no, it's it's really cool. It's got this cool blue fleck in it. It's got nice red seat belts. It's a manual. I will tell you that if you buy this vehicle, keep in mind that the shifter handles this amazing piece of aluminum. Except when it's sitting in the sun at 90 <laughs> degrees, and I got in the car to to meet you guys to do this podcast and I burn my hand. I'm like, this is crazy. So I, usually they make leather shift handles for a reason. Yeah. And, and you've probably, uh, Lauren, I don't know if you've been in your 05 or 06 GTs enough to, to know, but same thing, same thing. I remember that distinctly getting in the, yep. uh, my 05 Ford GT after it'd been parked outside for a couple hours under the sun. And it's like, Oh, I'm speed shifting, but it's not because I'm trying to go fast. It's because I can only <laughs> touch the shifter for about a second before I'm uh, damaging my hand. So uh, yeah, that, you got to watch that metal shifters are great until they're uh, overheated. Um, so I was actually in the outgoing version of the Ford F-150 recently. Uh, I, I moved, I relocated my, my family into a new house only about two miles from my previous place. But uh, we all know what um, the, the the blessing is to have in the, have access to whenever you're moving. And uh, Ford was nice enough to give me a 2020 Ford F-150 Limited, which is really one of their top ones. Uh, you know, it starts kind of, it's like a platinum, but then it's even more limited and has like a VIN number right on the, VIN plate, I should say, right on the center console that tells you what number it was out of the limited production. And the thing was loaded. I mean, and it was great because it was kind of hot and it had the heated and cooled seats and all these other great features. But of course, it also had all the things you need to um, carry things around, carry a lot of uh, cargo around. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, man, this truck is about to have a serious refresh, but it's already 
so good. You know, this is the outgoing version of the F-150, and it's going to be interesting to see how good the next one is. But I was I was quite smitten with the vehicle. Now, it was like 83 grand. So once I saw the price, I was like, well, not so smitten. I'm going to buy one. But uh, but still, if you if you had the 83 grand to spend, that's about as much as you can make an F-150 cost. It is an amazing vehicle. It's amazing that these full-size trucks have gotten so expensive. I mean, we, we've all driven the new Ram. It was the truck of the year last year for uh, North American Car and Truck of the Year. And um, you start putting in that cool big screen, and you want massaging seats, and suddenly you're over 100 grand. And my husband has an older one-ton truck, a you know, dually, so we're all set when it comes to moving. Cause we're moving with my son this weekend. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, he said, I'll get a new truck, but this is crazy. The pricing was just like you said, I could go buy another GT, you know, a, a Mustang GT, but or a GT500. But it was crazy, the pricing. But what they've put in these new trucks is more than just bigger motors, more towing capacity. All the brands have really stepped up the game. Yeah, you, you mentioned both uh, the Ram and the F-150. And I'm also curious to see the new F-150 because, in my opinion, the Ram interior right now, especially in like top grades. I also had one uh, recently for about like $85,000 it was on the sticker. I'm interested to see what the response from Ford is going to be on that because the Ram, I have to say, and people around here who saw it and everything, they were, everybody was in love with that truck. I mean, the, the level of luxury, the technology and all that, it's, it's really, really amazing. It's true. It's true. What, what trucks have become, which uh, I don't know if any of us could have predicted this even as recently as 10 or 12 years ago, but they have become these ultra luxury vehicles, at least when you go for the top top trims with all those options. And I agree with you 100%, uh, Javier, that kind of the next frontier for trucks to cross is the interior, uh, not just uh, plush materials, which they've increasingly done, but also the technology, which Ram, among other reasons why it won last year for North American Truck of the Year, was the giant screen in there. It felt very Tesla-like how big that display screen was. And you know, Ram's been really good about having cutting-edge technology on that vehicle uh, for for several years. They've been eating market share. Remember, they were out selling the Silverado uh, at times during uh, 2019, and nobody had expected that a few years earlier either. Ram used to be a distant third after after the F-150 and the um, Silverado. So that's where you're going to kind of be able to shift market share as a truck maker. Can you really make high-tech, high-luxury interiors and of course if you can do it more more cost effectively so that people can afford them without costing 80 grand even better but that's where you're seeing a shift in the truck thinking right now so if we want to funny we, we all like that we all like that nissan titan that xd it was in that sweet spot between half ton and three-quarter ton and they're not making it in a diesel anymore but i have to say i thought nissan did a great job with great value and it was an american built truck so again you know there's a lot of deals out there if you're looking for that if we are going to try tied up the this second segment like the first one let's talk electric again <laughs> because uh the what is it called the tesla cybertruck allegedly is coming so we'll see how that that'll work out into it this mix there's no way it'll never clear uh north america well that we have a highway traffic safety administration there's no way that's going to clear because it's going to blind oncoming drivers there has to be a color you are not allowed to have a shiny vehicle. There's just so many factors. I mean, not have, being able to get out the passenger door if you're in an accident because the glass won't break is safety-wise pretty stupid. So I'm, I don't think a lot of this you're going to see at the what you, what you saw as a prototype. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see 
what the production version of that truck looks like, Lauren, because I agree there's a, a lot of issues there that are not going to be legal uh, for uh, NHTSA, North America, you know, uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is not going to let that go. But then we've got, you know, Rivian and we've got Bollinger and uh, we've got uh, uh, Lordstown. Nikolai. Nikolai. Yep. You know, there are Workforce, so many. Yeah. There are so many pure electric truck companies all rushing to be the first one out of the gate uh, to start supplying the, the EV side of trucks. And uh, once again, will there be some uses for trucks as EVs? Yes. Uh, will they suddenly displace all the internal combustion traditional trucks and suck up the market share? No. No so, way. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, yeah, I, I know the, that the mainstream media loves to say that, but if you really look at the reality, the the slow sales and, hey, listen, you know, we all have different lifestyles and some people only drive 20 miles a day. But if you need to go anywhere and there's been a lot of people on the Internet have tried to do this cross-country drive and they go, there's nothing worse than sitting in front of a charging station waiting for hours for someone else to move so that you can sit and plug in for hours. Except yeah. except if you're listening to the podcast, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You Let's, can do you gotta, for sure. <laughs> if you've got a good podcast to listen to, then it's okay to sit there. Okay, we're going to take uh, the, the, the last break of the podcast today, and uh, we're going to come back and talk about two of the consequences of COVID. One, the auto shows seem to be dead. I mean, like they cancel all of them. LA, well, we'll talk about it when we come back. Welcome back to the last segment of this Total Car Score podcast. And uh, as I was saying, the COVID-19 uh, has affected everybody, obviously. It has affected the automotive industry, some of the key aspects of it. One is the auto shows, which uh, we like to think, we in the media like to think that they're made for us, but they aren't. <laughs> and the other one is the buying process. So let's start with the outer shows the outer shows uh the last one that happened was chicago in february then geneva was canceled then all the announcements started coming uh, detroit was supposed to happen for the first time in june canceled and now sema uh which is at the end of november canceled la which is a little bit earlier hasn't announced officially that it's canceled and ces which is uh, automotive heavy now it's also canceled, which is in January. So I guess we, we're not going to go back to any of that uh, anytime soon, at least, right? No, I don't think so. I think no, the, we're still waiting on LA. Yeah, LA is, you know, it's just hard to believe it's going to happen, but so far they have not uh, said it's not. Um, and as you said, Javier, the auto shows are such a powerful uh, atmosphere for us as automotive journalists to be able to see all the new cars when they're unveiled and then see all the rest of the cars next to them and I'll see all the industry people that show up there and all the media outlets and interview everyone. They're really a, a helpful element for our jobs as people who cover the industry. But um, the automakers were already starting to pull back and not supporting them as much because they realized they're spending all this money and they're sharing uh, uh, news cycles with 5, 10, 20 other big breaking stories in a 24, 48-hour period. And they decided maybe we want to own the news cycle for 24 to 48 hours with our own event, totally separate from any auto show. So that was happening pre-COVID. And then COVID hit, and I feel like that was maybe just another nail and maybe the final nail in the coffin for auto shows as debut locations for all new cars. But the other thing that we all three know is sometimes, believe it or not, it's not all about us. And the 
consumers love the shows just to learn, just to see all the cars in one place. And that will always be a valuable experience. And I think automakers will likely continue to support auto shows as a way to get their vehicles in front of uh, a large number of people in a short amount of time. But whether or not they continue as uh, media heavy activities is another question. And then of course, the other thing is um, um, with the COVID thing, even when it goes away, how long will it take for people to feel comfortable going back to an auto show whether they like it or not otherwise, because there's all these people. I mean, talk about <laughs> germs and all that. You're getting in and out of cars. You're opening door handles that 5,000 other people have opened in the last 40, 40, 48 hours and all before you get in there. So that's that's a whole other element to, to all public uh, events, including auto shows. Yeah, I remember when uh, we used to go to Detroit in January, we almost everybody went back home uh, sick with a regular flu but, uh, or the cold. <laughs> So we'll see how that goes. No, I was just going to say, you know, it's funny because consumers, they all go online. They look at all the great video reviews that Javier does, I do, Carl does, Carl's writing as well, and and, and all the stuff that we all do, and then they want to go drive it. They've sort of narrowed it down to, you know, three, four cars, and they want to have their families go and look at it. And so I think auto shows will survive. My guess is going to be regional. It looks like because of the the major suppliers for like Detroit, you're not seeing the Germans aren't setting up there. They haven't for years. They did at one point. That made them a global show. But now I think LA will survive. I think New York will survive, but the rest are going to be regional shows and won't have the same clout that they used to. Geneva's done. They def definitely said they're done. Uh, Shanghai is doing well, but you know, you're looking at the fact is it's expensive. And uh, and for consumers, they want to have that opportunity. And the dealers set up locally, like in a show, like I live in Buffalo. So the Buffalo show is every local dealer, they each get a spot on the floor. You know, there's one Audi dealer, you know, we've got, you know, four or five, four dealers, they'll all take a section of the floor, and they all pay for a small piece. And of course, they've got salespeople there. And that's really what it's about for them to get people butts in cars and leads to sell. So yeah. Lauren, you were mentioning uh, also like about how people are going more online to research cars, but now because of this, because most of the dealers are partially closed, how the, is the the buying process gonna be moving forward? I think it's gonna change forever, and I'm probably a lot of companies should apply the Tesla model, like buy online. They can't do that. They can't do that. It's a franchise law. Well, this is a this is a federal law that's been in place since the early 1900s, and unless the federal government changes it, the current franchise law is the reason there are brick and mortar dealerships. Is there's a lot of protections for you as the consumer. You can't do bait and switch, which used to happen. You can't be taking people's money and not giving them their vehicles back. You can't. Uh, you have to have product available, parts available for X period of years. There was a lot of factors put in place just to protect consumers. If you take that model away, you're putting everybody back into a flea market type of. Uh, set situation. What Tesla does is he says he's a tech company and he does not have to offer you service. He does not have to offer you parts. If you've got an original Tesla Roadster, you better find one in a salvage yard. And that's not, the average consumer won't stand for that. They don't get loaner cars. All that is part of that franchise law. And so that's part of why you're seeing the change that's been forced upon dealers who, and brands who thought, well, the Carvana, Varum, Car Gurus, there's a hundred of them out there. They're, they're not going to get our business. Well, they started picking up the used car business, and that's where the money is right now because new cars are not coming in as quickly, so they're not as negotiable on the pricing. I put all the new car and used car incentives up every month 
I do a video on my Car Coach Reports channel to let people know. And people go to it because they want to know what the hidden secrets are because there are hidden two, three, four thousand dollar deals. And, you know, that's all part of doing business that you do your homework. But I, I think that consumers are ready, have no problem buying on an app, sending an email saying, hey, I want that new BMW. What's your best price? And this is if you don't want it, I'll just go to this guy in Indiana and I'll just go get it. So I think that that causes people and dealers to start doing business differently. Yeah, I would agree with you, Lauren. And I think I think what's going to happen is I think you're going to see more online buying, but not the way Tesla does it. There'll be online buying that's coordinated with the dealer and the franchise so that they're not uh, breaking any laws or trying to change any, you know, kind of infrastructure on the whole way the car system and the retailing system has worked for, you know, 70, 80 years, really since World War II. But people are even more interested in looking at cars and getting as much of the process done as possible from the comfort of their home. They were already starting to go that way before COVID again, and now they kind of have to go that way. A lot of dealerships aren't allowed to have people, depending on which country or sorry, which uh, state you're in and all, you're not allowed to have people come into the dealership even. So this online digital retailing process that still in integrates the traditional dealer into it has really taken off in the last uh, six months. And I think you will see a new kind of paradigm for a lot of people who, if they are comfortable with the vehicle they want, doing almost everything online. And if they want to look at two or three, they'll figure out a way to go look at those two or three, including having the cars brought to their house and wiped down before the person gets out. Then the person drives the car. Maybe they have it for a half an hour. Maybe they have it for overnight. And then the dealership comes back wipes the car down again for their employee who's getting in after the consumer and drives it back to the dealership. Um, so there's even ways to test drive that don't involve going to the dealership now. Um, and that's just going to keep being more and more of an option that people will have at, even after COVID's done. Right. Lincoln did that with their concierge service. You get a black label card, they'll pick it up for service. And other brands are doing that too. Yeah. Um, well, uh, going back to the first segment, according to Ford, uh, they won't have that much of a problem. People want the Bronco. They're going to buy it without even test driving. At least some of those those uh, 165,000, Carl, uh, pre-orders that they have. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, those people are ready to pull the trigger, and I don't think they even care if they get a test drive first. So, yeah, there's always a certain amount of cars. Of course, Lauren and I didn't get to – well, we did because we were journalists, but a lot of people didn't get to test drive, for instance, their Ford GTs before they got the, the new Ford GT, and they didn't care. They just put their money down, and, and it was a chunk of money, uh, some would say, and yes. they, didn't, they didn't hesitate because they just knew the car was going to be an amazing car without ever test driving it. So a certain amount of people will always do that too. Right. And I, I think the thing is, I never, ever, and I'm sure neither of you do, recommend buying a car without test driving it. My number one rule is seating comfort. If we're all built differently uh, and you sit in the vehicle, if you feel comfortable, it's not going to get more comfortable the longer you own it. And then visibility. If you can see out the windows, you feel comfortable in the vehicle. And then the controls and then safety and performance and all that. But you have to you have to sit in that car. You have to drive it. There's nothing worse than buying a vehicle and trying to get it into a parking spot or your garage or wherever it is that you go daily and find out it's a real hassle because you're going to want to get rid of that vehicle and you're going to have to keep it three years at least in order to even try to break even on it. True. True. Well, uh, this uh, second episode went really, really fast. It's already <laughs> the end of it. Well, it was nice to see you, Lauren, this week. It was nice to hear you again, Carl. And I really hope that we can see each other, the three of us together at the same time uh, somewhere 
in the that near future. Great. Yeah, what? no, it's uh, funny how you get jaded because you're going on traveling all the time and doing all these pressure trips all the time, and then you take it away for six months. And I think all three of us are like, okay, uh, we're ready to go back to that now. Please, please stick me on a plane <laughs> and take me to where everyone else is in the industry. I'm starting to miss everyone. I am too. You miss. You want to hug everyone you haven't seen. You know, I I haven't seen Carl in oh my gosh since I think first of the year for the last awards. I think is the last time I saw you. Yeah, I think it was North American Car Truck and SUV of the Year activity in uh, January in Detroit. I think we haven't seen each other since. Well, hopefully we'll be sooner than that. Thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. For more, check us out online at TotalCarscore.com.